0: Section 14. Comprising Chapters 39, 40, and 41 of Life and Adventures of Frank and Jesse James by J. A. Dacus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by P. J. Landau. Chapter 39. Escape of Frank and Jesse James. The terrible retreat, worn out and yet no chance for rest, a remarkable escape. They disappear from the very midst of those who were hunting them how they went away. The most formidable band of robbers in this country had suffered terribly in consequence of the raid on Northfield. Charlie Pitts, Bill Chadwell, and Clell Miller, the last named a formidable lawbreaker who was raised in Clay County, had lost their lives. Cole Jim and Bob Younger had been captured. Jesse and Frank James were still free, but numerous officers of the law were on their trail. When the Jameses left the Youngers in the Blue Earth River bottom, they were on foot. The Youngers and Miller had entrusted to them their watches and jewelry and most of their money, believing that there was a possibility for the Jameses to escape. The departure of Frank and Jesse created a diversion in favor of the Youngers and Miller. The bands of armed citizens followed the Jameses. For two days and nights the brothers traveled westward, their footsteps constantly dogged by wary citizens. The hardships through which they were passing were almost incredible. The men were sometimes almost completely surrounded by the citizens. Three days after they had separated from their comrades, they came to a wilderness region, where the timber was heavy and the underbrush thick. Here they proposed to rest for a season, but they were tracked to their hiding place and fired upon by a band of pursuers, Frank James received a wound in the hip. The brush was so thick that the pursuers who were on horseback could make no headway, and three of them dismounted to continue the chase on foot. The direction taken by the hunted men led to a swamp, but the season being dry, there was but little mud in the basin. The bushes were close together, and aquatic plants were high. The three men seemed resolved to close up with them several times the hunted bandits could have killed the citizens but for the fact that their ammunition was giving out and they desired to take care of what remained for the last emergency it was getting late the sun was low in the west and the shadows were deepening in the forest the three pursuers were determinedly following them once or twice the hunted men were tempted to turn and try the issues with their foes but they kept on Just when daylight faded away, they emerged from the swamp and found themselves in a traveled highway. They had lost their determined foes in the darkness of the somber swamp behind them. They started down the road, which lay along the bank of a stream of considerable size. Wearied into a state of exhaustion, they hoped to find a snug place where they could rest and take some food. But their trials were not yet at an end in the lonely depths of the forest with the dark still river on one side and the timbered wilderness on the other they heard the ominous sounds of horses hoofs they listened there were horsemen behind and before them in another moment sounds came from the woods which indicated that they were being surrounded the wearied freebooters quickly stepped into the deep shadow of a great tree which stood upon the bank of the stream to await further developments that the horsemen were gradually closing around them they were speedily convinced their situation was critical what could be done the stream below them was evidently deep and dangerous to ford their plans were quickly formed and consummated they quietly dropped down the bank to the margin of the stream which at that place flowed close by an abrupt bank They were there by that tree, but a moment ago, they heard one man remark, as a party came up to the spot where the outlaws had stood but a moment before. It was evident that their numbers must exceed twenty. Stealthily, the hunted brothers moved down the stream along the margin of the water and close up under the overhanging bank. They heard their pursuers discuss the situation. They are still near at hand, no doubt, the brothers heard one remark then the movements indicated that they were preparing for a more careful examination of the situation where they were soon several men came riding down the road just over their heads they had reached a place where the river runs under a shelving bank and the brothers could go no further without taking to the water four men came down the bank above and came toward them the brothers were constrained to take to the stream the water was about two feet deep they clung close to the bank and silently reached a place they deemed safe, in a cave-like excavation made by the water under the roots of a great tree. The hunters came to the place where the bank and the waters met, and, apparently satisfied, they turned and went back. The brothers heard the clash of horses' feet on the bridge below, and then they knew that the crossing below was guarded. After a time, all became still around them. They concluded to swim or wade the river from the point where they were, and once on the opposite side to strike through the country. Silently as possible, without any splashing, they came from their place of concealment and waded out into the stream until they were compelled to swim. The night was quite dark, and they passed over without being discovered. Climbing the opposite bank, they found themselves in an open wood, with all the haste which they could make they proceeded westward a mile away they came to a cornfield, and in the field there was a thicket here they found a hiding place and as wet as they were they partook of a repast of green corn and lying down in the grass they slept soundly until the sun was up waiting some time in a sunny place until their clothing had partly dried the brothers started on their weary day all day they traveled without being molested in the evening while traveling along a country road they met a man leading two horses one of which was saddled they spoke to him and from his manner and the answers he made them they were convinced that he had not heard anything about the affair at northfield they asked him if he would like to sell the horses he was leading he answered that it was his business to deal in horse flesh what would he take for the pair the man named the price and after some bantering a trade was effected, and even the saddle on which he rode was transferred, the horse-trader declaring that he did not own anything which he would not sell. Jesse and Frank James were once more mounted. They stopped at a cabin in a lonely locality and asked for supper. A woman and two children were apparently the only inmates. They learned from her that her husband had been summoned to help catch a gang of horse-thieves, and had not been home for three days frank carefully concealed his wound and the woman quickly prepared a good supper for them and after settling with her they mounted and rode away the brothers rode all night and as their horses were fresh and good travelers they traversed many miles they had already begun to congratulate themselves on their escape when one day when they were in the neighborhood of a town on the western border of iowa they were fiercely attacked by seven men all well armed but fortunately for the outlaw brothers not very well mounted a running fight ensued and frank received a desperate wound but the good fortune which had so often attended them came to their aid and in the darkness of the night they rode far away and in the morning reached a house where the services of a physician were secured who dressed frank's wounds the physician was afterward arrested but no evidence of his having knowledge of the character of his patient was produced and he was discharged the brothers had reached the borders of nebraska jesse had a friend somewhere on the confines of that state and they proceeded to his place by easy stages here they rested for some days while frank's wounds were attended to by a physician but the news of northfield had reached there and suspicions of their friend and his strange guests were aroused It was deemed best to take an early departure. An ambulance was procured. One of the horses was disposed of, and the boys by easy stages drove into Kansas. Their horse and ambulance was disposed of there. At a station not a thousand miles west of Kansas City, they took the cars and were transported to Texas. At Waco, Frank was placed under the care of a physician and nursed until restored to health again thus was terminated one of the most remarkable escapes from capture ever recorded none other than men of very superior genius could have succeeded as it is the exploit is one of marvelous adroitness one which cannot fail to excite our admiration chapter forty a visit to carmen frank and jesse go into mexico they rest at carmen in chihuahua the silver conducta they join the mexican party capture of the treasure bags of the mexicans after northfield missouri was deemed an unsuitable place for operations by the james boys nor did it afford a safe place of retirement for persons who had engaged in such a desperate warfare against the established order of society but they were accustomed to make long expeditions and they were at home anywhere the shelter of a rock sufficed for them in the wintry nights and the branches of a tree with their spreading leaves furnished roof enough for them when the summer nights came. Far away in that region of the great state of Texas, known for many years as the territory of Bexar, where a beautiful stream flows down from the rugged mountains toward the west to unite with the Rio Pecos, Jesse and Frank had established a retreat which they called Rest Ranch. It is many miles east of Fort Quitman, and a long way from san estevan to the west there are rugged hills and low mountains covered with chaparral almost impenetrable to man or beast far away in a southern direction is the little frontier post called fort lancaster there are no frequented trails near the place which they had selected the rio grande road from fort quitman to fort lancaster runs southwest of the rugged region alluded to above and the usual line of travel from Fort McAvitt to the military posts and settlements on the upper Rio Grande in New Mexico was a long distance from their chosen retreat. Toward the northeast are the salt plains, and further away still the staked plains, the dread of all travelers in those regions. In this retreat they were free from the intrusion of prying neighbors and the inquisitiveness of passing travelers it was and is a lovely place there are few traces of the presence of man in that wilderness land the pecos flows miles away from their place through a valley full of natural beauties but the region is lonely so lonely there are only trails occasionally followed by a band of predatory Lipans or traversed by marauding parties of comanches and kickapoos on raids to the mexican border through that vast region it was in such a country the daring bandits found repose and when occasion suited to ride untrammelled by fears when the wild turmoil of this wearisome life with its scenes of oppression corruption and strife the proud man's scorn and the base man's fear and the scoffer's laugh and the sufferer's tear and malice and meanness and falsehood and folly disposed to them to musing and dark melancholy when their bosoms were full and their thoughts were high and their souls were sick with the outlaw's sigh oh then there was freedom and joy and pride afar in the broad plains alone to ride End quote. such seasons of reflection concerning that which is and that which might have been come to all mankind and it came to the outlawed brothers because they are members of the great family it was doubtless at some such time when their spirits were subdued by their lonely communion with the grander mysteries of nature that the james boys pled for pardon of past offenses and promised future amendment and conformity to the laws established for the government of society they have often manifested a desire to be at peace with the world but such resting did not wait upon them issuing from their retreat they dared the danger of the border plunging through the chaparral ascended rugged mountain steeps plunged down their western slopes to the sand plains which border the rio grande passing through the poor pueblo of san estevan noted as the haunt of cattle raiders and bandits alarming the people at early morn by their imperious behavior and skill as pistol-shooters exhibited by bringing down a chicken for their breakfast at a distance of sixty paces They rode away to the Grand River, crossed over to the Mexican side, and passed westward until the adobe walls of Momia rose before and around them. The brothers had grown weary of secluded living. They had now started on an expedition destined to create a profound sensation all along the border. They passed on through Santa Rosa and through the desert lands and over the mountains to the westward of that place, these men never paused before obstacles which would appall others neither the rugged mountain passes where the mexican guerrillas have their hiding places nor the desolation and terrors of the dead man's journey arrested their course carmen is a village of considerable size and importance in the northern part of the state of chihuahua in mexico surrounded on three sides by rugged hills rising into mountains it is situated on a line with an important pass through the sierra madres carmen is therefore a halting place for caravans of traders and through its plaza passes treasure conductas from the mines of chihuahua the bold riders from the north of the rio grande had an object in going to carmen which was made plain in due time arrived at carmen jesse and frank who had been joined by three other members of the band at santa rosa among them jack bishop put up at the leading posado of the place they were a well-behaved company and as they paid liberally for all they desired the people regarded them as a valuable accession to the population the boys had a delicate way of demonstrating their capacity to shoot by killing a fowl or pig or dog by shooting it with a revolver from a great distance taking care always to make the exhibition as public as possible so it happened on this occasion the guerrillas, and other rough characters about Carmen had a very respectful manner toward such persons. The Mexican, whose pig had been shot, received four times its value, and conceived thereafter a very ardent affection for the American gentleman of the North. It was in the late springtime, and the road through Carmen was traveled by many traders and miners, bound north through New Mexico, to the markets of this country the adventurers from rest ranch noted everything there were little parties traveling together with considerable money on their way to purchase supplies in the united states but it was not for such small profits that they proposed to practice their profession one day six pack mules each loaded with a hundred fifty pounds of silver and each with a muleteer to control him moved out of the city of chihuahua with these rode twelve men as a guard They kept on until Carmen was reached without anything unusual happening. At this place they halted for a day's rest. The outlaws went among the guards, sought out the persons to whose charge the treasures had been committed, and ascertained the direction of their future movements. Nay, further they simulated fears of the lurking Indians and plundering guerrillas along the road before them. They claimed to be anxious to get into the United States, but had heard so many stories of the dangers of the road that it had deterred them from undertaking the journey. They professed to be American gentlemen who had been looking over the mines of Chihuahua. Their manners were affable and their story plausible. When they made overtures to the chief of the conducta to be allowed to journey with the treasure party for mutual protection across the dangerous border, their desires were acceded to, and when the cavalcade moved slowly away from Carmen the next day, the unsuspecting merchants and treasure-bearers were accompanied by five men of the most desperate character. For the first three days of the march, the Americans were watched with some degree of vigilance, and the Mexicans maintained a strict guard over the treasure pouches. But the deportment of the outlaws was such that they soon succeeded in allaying any suspicion which might have attached to them. Carmen was a long way from the border, and the bandits did not care to strike the blow which they had resolved upon when too far away from their retreat, and that, too, on unfamiliar ground. So they journeyed on with their intended victims on the most amicable terms. A suitable opportunity to seize the treasure was now all they wanted, for the Mexicans had grown somewhat careless in consequence of their confidence in the numbers of their party. One day they halted by a crystal stream which flowed down from a gorge in the mountains and where a spring of pure cold water gushed from the rocky bank. It was noon time and the weary travelers took the burdens from their beasts and allowed them to graze in the fresh tall grass in the valley. It was a lovely day and the scenery about them was very charming. The muleteers and guards, all save two, who stood sentinel over the treasure pouches, had thrown themselves on the verdant bank and were lazily conversing about the beauty of the situation, the length of time yet required in which to complete the journey before them, and like topics of small interest to our readers. There were in the company a Señor Molines and another Mexican gentleman, both merchants of Chihuahua the american desperadoes stood upon the bank under the shade of a tree and little apart from the group of guards who were in fact largely owners of the treasure they watched the muleteers formed a little group not far away the guns which the mexicans carried had been stacked or rather leaned against a tree mr molinas and his friend sat smoking on a moss-grown rock by the bank of the stream it was a picturesque scene and the surroundings heightened the effect of the picture the two guards on duty carried their guns carelessly on their shoulders suddenly jesse james called out let's go boys there was a sharp report of pistols the two armed guards sank quivering to the earth the outlaws rushed to the tree where the guards had left their guns and placed themselves with presented revolvers between the guardians of the treasure and their weapons The two Mexican merchants were ordered to throw up their hands, and with the forcible argument of leveled dragoon pistols presented as an alternative, they yielded, and one of the gang went and disarmed them. The muleteers were paralyzed with fear and remained sprawled upon the grass carpet. The place has been well named La Temido, the place of fear. It had been but a minute since the first act in the drama was presented and in that time the whole tragic play had been completed what a revolution in the circumstances of the actors had taken place two were dead and sixteen survivors were prisoners and at the mercy of five of the most desperate men who ever played the part of freebooters on this continent they took the horses of the merchants and guards broke their guns forced the muleteers to place the treasure pouches upon the best and fleetest of the horses shot the mules and other horses not required, and threatened the frightened men who were in their power with death, and finally left them a long way from any human habitation without horses and without food, and proceeded to the Rio Grande, at an unfrequented part of its course many miles above Fort Quitman, where they had provided a boat before they ventured on their expedition, ferried the captured treasure, and swam their horses across, and in less than 24 hours after their surprise and capture of the treasures of the caravan, they had disappeared in the rugged region which lies between the Rio Grande and the Pecos in the territory of Bexar, Texas. They had so completely hidden their trail that all attempts to follow them were futile. In a few days after this successful foray into Mexico, Jesse and Frank were at their ranch enjoying much-needed repose. How the members of the wealthy party with which they traveled from Carmen managed to get once more into the haunts of civilized men, we have received no information. The great heap of silver which they had taken was brought by the outlaws into their retreat in the mountains, and there divided among the five daring brigands. Chapter 41. The Robbers and Their Friends The various classes of people who exhibit friendship for the Jameses, some are bad men who gather about them because they are brave. Social peculiarities. Quote, Wherefore in the hour of need shall a people house them? Wherefore did our brothers bleed when great wrongs did rouse them? Is this the sod so blessed by God that slaves swear by its clay, men? Or are we still the men of will? We ask you that today, men. End quote. Why have the James boys so many friends? Is it because there are so many people disposed to lawlessness? Are the friends of the Jameses like themselves all outlaws? If they are not, why do they yet sympathize with them? How can any honest man succor and shelter them? Can it be possible that anyone can be so impervious to testimony as to believe these men to be anything but outlaws? These are the questions asked by those who believe that the boys ought to have been caught long ago and lay a large part of the blame for their escape from arrest so long on the people of the states where their most notable deeds have been committed. Some persons point to the results obtained in Minnesota after Northfield as an evidence that a large part of the population in Missouri, Arkansas, Texas, and Kentucky where their most successful raids have been made must necessarily be in sympathy with them, if, indeed, they are not in direct collusion with the great outlaws. Such a charge is evidently made by persons who have not examined into the circumstances of the case, and the conditions which have favored them in escaping apprehension by the officers of the law. It will be remembered that the James boys have committed successful robberies in both Iowa and Kansas, and it will not be claimed by the most prejudiced mind that the people of Iowa and Kansas, resident in the neighborhood where these exploits were committed, were more in sympathy with the marauders than they were the people of Northfield and vicinity, and yet the Jameses escaped capture, without in any way assuming a defense of the people of the states named above on account of their failure to capture the outlaws, for they need no service of the kind from us we may be permitted in this place to state a few facts which may enable cavilers to form a more rational judgment in this matter that the jameses have friends scattered through many states we readily admit that all those who have a friendly feeling toward them are not in the lower classes of roughs is undeniable that some who move in respectable circles of society and who are above reproach so far as their individual actions are concerned are yet disposed to apologize for them is unfortunately true. But such friends as these have nothing to do with obstructing the execution of the law. The Jameses have numerous friends in Missouri, Kentucky, Arkansas, Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado, and under like conditions they would have equally as large a list of friends in Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Dakota, and Wyoming their active helpful friends are to be found among that class which the law is ever pursuing but never subduing they are called thugs in new york and all the other large cities and on the border everywhere the same elements in human nature which create the thugs pariahs and roughs of urbane populations produce the desperadoes and road agents of the wilderness regions now the fact is the jameses have ranged over the entire country from the Ohio River to the shores of the Gulf, from the borders of Iowa to the Sierra Madres, and from the Blue Ridge to the Rocky Mountains. Their reputation as daring men and skillful leaders has made them known in all that class of people who are without the pale of society, as that term is applied, and there are members of that class in every community who at once seek an alliance with such distinguished leaders of their class, the outlaws. The result is that these people embrace every opportunity to serve such men as Frank and Jesse James. Why has not Pinkerton, with all his ability and resources as a catcher of lawbreakers, caught these men? The answer is simple enough. They know the country thoroughly. They have not one but many places to which they can retreat, and when hard-pressed or sorely wounded, they go to their retreats. Where they are nursed and cared for until they choose to go away again there may be and doubtless are a few persons who have known the boys from early childhood knew their father before them and afterward remembered the deeds performed by them in a cause which they regarded as right who are loath to believe that the boys are brigands and robbers and then it is certain that some of their friends are persons who are free to admit that the boys have degenerated into lawless marauders but excuse them on the ground that they were driven to it by the terribly bad treatment which they received at the hands of those who were enemies of the southern cause in the struggle of long ago it is barely possible that a limited number of people whose whole mind and strength were devoted to the success of the south during the great conflict yet look back with deep regret at the melancholy failure of their efforts and have apotheosized every man who engaged on that side and fought for the cause which had become sacred in their eyes, a very few persons who belong to that class, representatives of which are to be found everywhere, who can neither forgive nor forget, who only remember that Frank and Jesse James were fighters in that struggle, and hence all subsequent bad conduct cannot exclude them from a place in their affections, this is in accordance with the laws of human nature all men are not cosmopolitan in their views and hence when disasters fell upon a cause which was believed to be right and sacred the little world in which these persons lived and moved and had their being suffered a moral convulsion from which it has not yet recovered and in their minds can never recover with the social conditions and mental state which enshrouded people like those described above and rendered them insensible to the requirements of social order we have nothing to do such people are found in all climes now and such people have lived in all ages since the human family commenced the struggle for existence but the friends of the jameses are for the most part persons who like themselves have rebelled against the established order of society they are scattered all over the country and among that class from the rio grande to the ohio The boys have personal acquaintances and active allies. Even beyond the lofty range of the Rocky Mountains they have confederates in spirit, if not in action. These children of an ill-starred destiny roam over a vast extent of country, and wherever they go they are likely to find someone who, from some cause or other, open their houses to them and willingly offer them succor and shelter. Some of these men doubtless share with the renowned freebooters the spoils gained in their daring profession. The friends of the Jameses, even those who are active allies and participators in their lawless deeds, are many of them respected in the communities where they belong. Among their neighbors they are known as liberal-minded men of unquestionable good character. Some of them have families who are respected and honored by their associates. Some of them, when at home, are regular in their attendance at church, and liberal in their donations for the support of the ministry. Some affect to patronize the educational interests, while there are others who are promoters of improvements in horticulture, agriculture, and all other movements intended to benefit the communities of which they are members. Who would surmise that these staid and respected members of society are leagued with outlaws? generally their evil deeds are committed far away from their places of residence they are not often mixed up in any affair near by and when they join the band for the purpose of committing depredations they always give out that they are about to make a journey in a way directly contrary to that in which they intend to travel but the most valuable of the members of the band of friends of the jameses are those who never go abroad to depredate They are of infinite service to the boys. In all their relations with their neighbors and the members of the society with which they are brought in contact, these allies of the brigands are scrupulously exact and strictly upright. The consequence is, no suspicion attaches to their character, and with them the outlaws are safe. Not only do these friends not go abroad to plunder, but when their Confederates, who do the work, commit a deed of outlawry in their vicinity, they first conceal the robbers, and then turn out as leaders of the hunters of the outlaws. They are sometimes loudest in their execration of the plunderers, and strongest in their expressions of hatred toward all lawless men. Being good citizens of honorable repute, no one suspects them, and their friends, the robbers, rest until the storm has swept by, and then quietly they ride away many of these men are well to do have good farms live in comfortable houses and have many fine horses and fat cattle of course these valuable allies have a liberal allowance of the brigand spoils set apart for their use and behoof it must be borne in mind that these men are residents of regions of comparatively recent settlement where the antecedents of newly arrived citizens are not strictly inquired into by those who only arrived yesterday themselves. So long, therefore, as the citizen deports himself as a clever man, so long will his neighbors implicitly trust him. Such is the character of the men which Jesse James's fertile brain has called into service, the character of the organization which all the devices of the shrewdest detectives, all the bravest executors of the law, have failed in ten long years of effort to disintegrate or destroy. The very fact that such an organization does exist, and that Jesse James furnished the brains which summoned it into existence, and has maintained it for so long a time, stamps him as an extraordinary man, one who, under other circumstances, might have become a leader of men, and passed into history along with George Cadoodle, Powley, and other actors on the world's wide stage. End of section fourteen.